The stories we tell communicate who we are and what we value. Each episode, we consider a different story from our perspective as women. From murder ballads to fairy tales, we discuss the power these stories have over us all. This is our history, both real and imagined, told through the eyes of today. This is Femlore. Mindy! Hi, Rach. Hey! Uh, have I got a little-known story for you? What is it? I wonder if I've heard of it before. Probably not. It's very, very, like, nobody's heard of the story. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's Cinderella. <laughs> awesome. Sounds good. <laughs> so you've heard of it then? Who hasn't, right? <laughs> Great question. So many different tellings of it. This is this is going to be exciting. Are, are you, and we have somebody joining us this yes, week, right? Yes, we do. Kaylin Bayron. Um, she wrote the book Cinderella is Dead, Ooh. which is a YA novel. And I actually really enjoyed it being in yeah. my 30s. I thought it was a great book. Me too. Uh, really fun. Really fun. I haven't read. quite finished it yet, but I'm going to, and I cannot wait to speak with her. Yeah, it's it's a really great, great book. Um, but because we're having Kaylin on, uh, she told us about a nonprofit that she wanted to our listeners to know about and also contribute to, as we will be doing as we always do. Um, So a great nonprofit to pair with this episode is the It Gets Better Project, which is a nonprofit organization with a mission to uplift, empower, and connect lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer youth around the globe. Um, They know that growing up is not easy, especially when you're trying to affirm and assert your sexual orientation and or gender identity. It can be a challenging and isolating process, but the good news is no one has to do it alone. So definitely join us in uh, making a donation to such an incredible cause and such an incredible organization. Love it. All right. So should we get into... Cinderella, it's gonna it's quite a quite a long one. So maybe you want to take your sip of water real fast, listener. <laughs> this is a long one. Cinderella. This retelling is based on the Jacob and Wilhelm Grimm version of Cinderella. The wife of a rich man fell ill, and when she knew she was to die, she asked for her daughter. She spoke in a whisper, too weak from illness, to speak with her usual bright tone. Daughter, said she, you must promise me that when I am gone you will remain pious and good. God will always protect you, and I shall be watching you from above. The daughter promised and watched as her mother's hand grew limp. Just about a year after her mother's death, the girl's father took a new wife. The new wife had two beautiful daughters, but inside they were cruel. It was not long before all of her beautiful dresses had been replaced by wooden shoes and a dirty apron. While her family sat idly, the girl was put to work, spending her time working from morning until night. Her stepsisters would torment her while she worked, putting lentils and peas into the fireplace so she would have to pick them out one by one. Instead of sleeping in her bed, she was made to sleep in the hearth of the fireplace. She always woke up covered in ash and dust, and so her sisters mockingly called her Cinderella. One day, her father had business at a fair and asked his daughters what he should bring back for them. The stepsisters asked for pearls, dresses, and all things fine, but Cinderella only asked that he bring back the first twig that brushed his head. On his return, he brought the stepsisters all kinds of finery, and, as promised, he gave Cinderella a hazel tree branch. Cinderella took the twig and planted it by her mother's grave, and remembering her mother, she wept and wept on the twig and it grew into a big, beautiful tree. Cinderella would go to this tree three times a day to mourn her mother, and whenever she went, there was a white bird that would follow. Cinderella soon learned that this bird would give her whatever she asked for. It was not long after that that there was news of a great festival. 
The festival was to last three days and all the ladies of the kingdom were invited, as the prince was to be looking for a wife. The stepsisters demanded that Cinderella help get them ready. Cinderella did as she was told, but as she helped put their dresses on, she wept, for she would have liked to attend too. She decided to ask her stepmother if she may go as well. Her stepmother laughed, No, no, Cinderella, for you are not refined enough, and besides, you are covered in dirt. But Cinderella would not relent, and annoyed her stepmother finally said, I scattered a bowl of lentils in the ashes for you. If you can get them all out in two hours, then you can come to the festival. Cinderella wiped away her tears, and going to the fireplace, she called to her friends, You tame pigeons, you turtle doves, and all you birds beneath the sky, come and help me to gather. The good ones go into the pot, the bad ones go into your crop. Soon the kitchen was filled with birds, and they all began to pick and gather up the lentils. Cinderella triumphantly went back to her stepmother, lentils in hand. But her stepmother scoffed. No, no, Cinderella, you cannot come. You are dirty and have no clothes, and you know not how to dance. Cinderella began to cry, and the stepmother, not wanting to hear any more of it, said, Fine, you can come, but only if you can pick two bowls of lentils from the ashes in one hour. The stepmother smirked to herself. There's no way Cinderella could do that. Again, Cinderella asked for help from her friends, and again they came to her aid. Again, Cinderella took the bowl triumphantly back to her stepmother, who on seeing it was surprised. But she shook her head. It does not matter that you have picked all the lentils out of the fireplace. If you came with us, we would be ashamed of you. And with that, she turned her back on Cinderella and left for the ball with her own daughters. Cinderella made her way to her mother's grave and called out, Shake and quiver, little tree, throw gold and silver down to me. And with that, a beautiful gold and silver dress, complete with silk slippers, fluttered down to Cinderella. She put them on and made her way to the festival. Her stepsisters and stepmother did not recognize her. They thought that she was a foreign princess, for surely only a princess could afford such a beautiful dress. Cinderella also caught the attention of the prince, who asked for a dance, and soon he would dance with no other but her. As it got late, the prince offered to escort the beautiful young woman home. Cinderella, not wanting to give away her identity, told him that that would not be necessary. And when he continued to insist, she eluded him and jumped into the chicken coop near her home. The prince waited for someone to return home, and who should appear but Cinderella's father? The prince told him of the bewitching young woman. Could this be Cinderella, thought the father? Her father ordered an axe so that they may tear down the chicken coop and find the young woman, but no one was found in the coop. Little did they know that Cinderella had hopped into the chicken coop, then fled out of the back of it. She threw her beautiful dress on her mother's grave, and the white birds picked it up. She then put on her dirty clothes and lay down by the fire. This is where her father found her, and he was now convinced that the prince had not been with Cinderella. On the next night, when all had left the house for the second day of the festival, Cinderella went again to her mother's grave and asked for silver and gold. And down from the tree came a more magnificent dress than the one that she wore the night before. The prince had been waiting for her, and he would dance with no one else. When it was time to go home, again the prince insisted on seeing her home. And when she got close to her house, she ran away and climbed up a pear tree. Again, her father came, and the prince told him that he thought the woman had climbed up the pear tree. Could it be Cinderella, he thought, and again he called for an axe so that he may chop down the tree, but no one was there. Cinderella had jumped down the other side and made it home safely, and was asleep by the hearth when her father entered. On the third day of the festival, Cinderella again asked for silver and gold, and she was given the most beautiful dress that she had ever seen, complete with gold slippers. When she arrived at the festival, the prince would again dance with no one else, and when she was tired and ready to go home, the prince asked to escort her. She said no and bade him farewell. 
But the prince had counted on this and had the entire staircase lined with pitch. Her shoe came off in the staircase. The prince picked up the shoe and said, no one besides this woman who wears this shoe will be my wife. And so the next day he went to Cinderella's father and brought the shoe. The stepsisters were elated for they had beautiful feet. The first sister took the shoe to her bedroom and on trying it on found that it would not fit. Her mother came into the room and handing her a knife said, cut off your big toe. You will have no need for it when you are queen. And so the stepsister cut off her big toe and was taken by the prince in his carriage. But as they were driving away, he saw blood dripping from her stocking and knew at once that he had been tricked. He came back with the girl and asked that the other sister try on the shoe. In the second sister's bedroom, her mother, handing her a knife, said, cut off the part of your heel, for when you're a queen, you will no longer need to walk anywhere. The girl did as she was told and was accepted by the prince, until the prince heard a bird exclaim, Rook-de-goo, rook-de-goo, there's blood in the shoe. The shoe is too tight. The shoe is too tight. The bride is not right. And looking down, he saw the blood staining her white stocking and once again turned around. Do you have any other daughters, sir? asked the prince. And Cinderella's father said he only had an ugly, sickly girl from his first wife. The prince insisted that he see her, and so Cinderella came in, bowing to the prince and removing her wooden shoe, easily slipped on the gold slipper. The prince then saw the face of the beautiful woman he had known at the festival and exclaimed, It is you, my true bride! The stepsisters and stepmother were shaking with anger as Cinderella was taken away by the prince. On the wedding day, the two false sisters also desired to be in the wedding, and so, as they walked on the left and the right of the couple, two birds came down and pecked out one of their eyes. And as they exited the church, the birds plucked out the other eye from each. And so, for their wickedness, they were cursed with blindness for the rest of their days. So, um, I'm really excited, Min, because today, I just told that very long story. I hope everybody had the chance to get some water and relax a little bit, because that was quite a long story. You did a great job. Oh, but um, <laughs> I have to say, I'm super excited. I can barely keep my my uh, cadence low. I'm just so excited. <laughs> Be um, excited. I'm excited, too. We have the amazing Kaylin Barron um, joining us today for this discussion, and she's the author of Cinderella is Dead. Um, a wonderful novel that you should already be buying right now. Go to Audible, get it. <laughs> I listened to the whole thing. It was it was a great, great book um, and had a great time reading it. So, well, reading is in air quotes because I listened to it. That's okay. okay. <laughs> that counts. That counts. Yeah. <laughs> so, Kayla, I don't know if you want to take a moment to just introduce yourself to our listeners um, and, yeah. and a little bit about your book. Yeah. Um, so, I'm Kaylin Barron, and um, I wrote Cinderella is Dead. It's a, it's a YA fantasy. Um, I like to think of it as a Cinderella remix, um, and it takes place 200 years after Cinderella's death, and um, in this kingdom that kind of popped up around Cinderella's story. Um, I write YA fantasy and middle grade um, children's books. I also do picture books. And I am a classically trained vocalist. I'm also a horror movie, horror novel fanatic. Um, and other than that, I'm just pretty boring. So I live in San Antonio with my family. And that's kind of me in a nutshell. Love it. You're in very good company because I love horror movies. Uh, yeah. A, <laughs> I am obsessed. So you're in very good company. 
And (laughs) I don't really do any of those things that you mentioned, but I love your work. I am not an author or a trained vocalist. I didn't know about that part. Um, Yeah, that's very cool. But um, definitely love and appreciate people who have those skills since I do not. Um, But we're so excited to talk with you. We definitely want to get into, you know, this original telling from the Grimm brothers. Um, But one high level thing that I just think is, is so great and that we, you know, Rachel and I were talking about before because we see it in so many Disney movies is um, the example in your book, um, you know, taking place 200 years after Cinderella, but looking at how much these stories are still indoctrinated into the society and looking at that that still happens today with Mm -hmm. Disney movies, everything. So just kind of wanted to open it up there. Yeah. It's, you know, it's funny because I, I kind of, um, you know, when I'm, I'm doing retellings and I, I'm doing some other ones too, it's kind of, I get this, this pushback sometimes that these are kids stories and that it's really not that big a deal. And that if they're not very, um, inclusive or if they have some like really out of date ideas about, you know, societal expectations, that it's not really a big deal. But the thing is it is, and they're wrong. Yep. So, um, you know, my, my take on it is that so often we're exposed to these stories um, at a very young age. I have memories of, you know, watching the kind of older Disney movies like Snow White, um, Cinderella, at a very young age, probably preschool, you know, somewhere around there. Me too. Um, And then, you know, reading stories, um, being told these stories, and it's, you know, you're you're telling a four-year-old this story about, you know, poor girl being treated terribly and then she finds a prince and or the prince finds her and she's saved and they ride off into the sunset together and that's it and you're kind of telling this story over and over and over again um it makes a difference it, it it's impactful um and yeah and we still we still cling to these stories um even today and i think cinderella has been told and retold so many times but um a lot of times it hits the same familiar beat. It's, mm-hmm. you know, this this young woman who is being mistreated and then this man comes in to save her and that's it. And it just feels very, um, it feels like, have, you know, isn't it time we kind of looked at this differently? Um, so, yeah. So, you know, these, these stories keep getting told and, and retold, but um, it, it, it matters. These, these stories do make a, a huge impact. Um, on kids. And so I think we have to be really careful about kind of dismissing them um, just because they're children's stories. Right. Totally. And I think too, to your point, I mean, that impact is lifelong. You know, um, we tell these stories, they're basically the stories we tell ourselves, right, to make us feel better about the kind of world we're in, or make us feel like there's a there's an out. And I think Cinderella is one of those that you know, like you mentioned, has been retold so many times. I, I think the earliest, and I know you've probably done a lot more research on this than we have, but the earliest version was like um, Chinese, right? Um, ninth century, I think. Yi, Yi Shen. I yeah, think. yeah. There's um, there's that one. That's a very prominent one. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also there's also a version that is seventh century BC. Wow. That is um, it's a story of a Greek girl who's a servant who marries the king of egypt and it involves um like a bird and a sandal oh and so yeah so there's there's versions of this story that just reach all the way back yeah wow and I, i think that's that's so interesting because there must be something so uh human about it that makes us keep retelling the same story 
but adjusting it to each society, right? Um, so each society is telling us what we should be doing based on that story. Um, and I, yeah. I just wonder if you have any thoughts about that, because it's such a prolific story. I mean, it's it's survived so many ages. It's survived beyond writing. Or well, I think, and I know you were asked that question to Kaylin, but I <laughs> just want to say, I think <laughs> the biggest thing is just that it makes me almost kind of sick to my stomach that the biggest thing probably then from society to, si- to society is that women are undervalued. Women are seen as mm-hmm. something that needs to be saved. And like, you know, that time and time again, we have taught and trained girls at girls who become women that their role is to be subservient and that they'll be saved and better when they're swept off their feet and married by a Prince Charming. Mm-hmm. Right. Because the, the, the backbone of these, of all of these stories is, you know, what could, what else could you possibly want? If you are right. a poor, yep. um, you know, disadvantaged young woman, what else could you possibly want than to have this, this member of a royal family kind of ride in um, and save you? Um, I, I, I want more than that. <laughs> I want something completely different than that. So it's, um, yeah, I think that's why it, it's, um, and, and it's funny because, well, not funny, but it's, it's very telling that I went through all of these versions of this story. And the thing that stuck was this element of this young girl just being completely um, devalued by everyone around her. Um, other, the settings changed. You know, there's a godmother. There's not a godmother. There's a glass slipper. There's a gold slipper. Um, you know, all of these different elements changed. Um, but that core theme of, of this young woman just being terribly abused by the people around her, being devalued and having no value unless she's attached um, to a to a man. Mm-hmm. Um, so that thing that stays the same, and that's very um, very disconcerting when you're when you're reading a story that has, is is as old as this one. Um, you would mm-hmm. think some things would change, but they don't. Right. Yeah. I know Rachel and I were talking about. We actually loved that that aspect that you kind of flip the script on obedience in your telling and Cinderella is dead. And so Rachel, I know maybe you had some thoughts on that or Kaylin, if you want to weigh in, but we really loved how um, that was something that you, you flipped because I think the overall obedience, you're right, is something that we're supposed to see and learn in any of these original tellings. Yeah. And, and in, I know in your book, you know, Cinderella is tricked. I won't go into more than that because I don't want to spoil no, it because you should all it download it and get it right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, you you know, I think that that was very interesting um, because the core of the story and that what was being told to society was different than the reality, which I think we can all agree is very, very true usually. Um, but I, th- yeah. I think that's very interesting, um, you know, just that actually Cinderella was never obedient um, in your retelling, which I think is, you know, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I, uh, you know, that was done, um, you know, with a purpose because I, I very often, you know, I, I like to question the stories that I'm told. And so, you know, if we have this, we have this story at the center of Cinderella's Dead, which is the, um, you know, the Cinderella story, the, the palace approved version of Cinderella, um, it's propaganda. Yeah. And so, um, you know, it's meant to spread disinformation. And so if that is its purpose, then it, you know, it made sense to me that maybe, you know, maybe there's, there's more to this story and there always is, there always is. And, and a lot of, a lot of these stories are penned by people, a lot of times men who have other, you know, thoughts about what women's 
um, what what a woman's place should be and and how they should operate within that given society and and so those those things will come through in the story so you know we it, the only way to to kind of um, change that is to question the original narrative and so um, you know it was important to me that Cinderella had some agency because a lot of times um, you know especially in the in the version of Cinderella that I'm using at the at the kind of at the core of Cinderella is dead it's Cinderella is all of these things are just happening to her and she doesn't really play any part in her own life. Um, these things just kind of happen and she's there and she, you know, she's not very nuanced. Um, and so I, I just wanted to kind of explore, you know, what that would look like um, if the story was just completely not true, you know, and, and what that means you're, you know, this, this, Cinderella stories being used as propaganda in this kingdom mm-hmm. um, to encourage young women to model their lives after her. And what if that was just a complete lie? That's, you know, how harmful is that and how dangerous is that? Um, so, yeah, so this idea of obedience within the story itself is, is something that I wanted to challenge kind of right out of the gate because, um, it, you know, it's, it's so important in a world where we're asked often to make ourselves small um that we we have to understand that we have a voice and that we can use it and that it it it's what we think and what we feel matters yeah i love that i could just like listen i was like (laughs) okay just (laughs) go on go on like this is awesome um and i something else that kind of sparked was, you know, I love how you flipped the script and kind of looking at, um, again, we don't want to give away too much of the story. Don't do it. Don't (laughs) do it. Go to Audible. Get it right now. (laughs) Just about like, you know, conforming and when, you know, she, um, your main character does have a different marriage proposal and kind of how you've, you've weaved in. It's not really a proposal. It's like, isn't it Lucas who kind of comes in and just says like, um, I was trying to keep a high high level. No, no. And that's good. That's good. (laughs) Like like, a, like an idea. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's a, you know, it's kind of like, how do we, if we both don't like this situation, how can we help each other? Yeah. And I think a lot of times, especially in queer communities, you know, we are looking for, each other to help and how we can kind of be in lockstep with each other. Mm-hmm. And so that for me is just really about, um, you know, uh, we don't have to have um, these, these huge divides within the queer community. I know sometimes um, we do and it feels like that sometimes, but I really wanted to show a sense of, of community there between the people who are kind of outside of what this society said was acceptable. Um, so yeah, so that's them just, try, you know, trying to figure out like, another way out. Um, well, and I just, and you know, to even bring up the point of like that conforming is so, you know, it's, it's not even just the conforming to heterosexuality mm-hmm. and like the whole, yeah. you know, aspect of all of these yeah. Disney, you know, all these stories that turned Disney and like how you came in and really helped to, you know, open that up. Mm-hmm. And I just, we, yeah, loved that aspect of your story too, because I think that that's so important and something you shared with us before recording. And I don't know, um, cause I'd love for you to be able to put it in your own words, but just talking about mm-hmm. growing up and, you know, not seeing or having stories that represented you and like how impactful that was and that you did something about it and, and wrote this lovely story. So I don't know if you wanted to share any more there, yeah. but um, that's was yeah, really meaningful. I, yeah. I, so, I mean, I love fairy tales. Like I've always just 
you know, loved fairy tales. Um, but I think it's, you know, again, it kind of goes back to that, you know, what do these fairy tales kind of teach us and what do they teach us about ourselves and the world around us? It, you know, it taught me that I can love a story, but that I should never really expect to see myself in it. Um, I didn't see any black girls in fairy tales when I was a kid. Um, and I think we got Princess Tiana, but I was much older. I was almost 30 by the time we got Princess Tiana, and she was a frog for 70% of the movie. So, um, you know, I, I just think it was it was about not, you know, not feeling like there was a place for me. And then when I got a little bit older, it was also realizing that all of these princesses end up with dudes. And not everybody wants to end up with a dude. And that's okay. (laughs) And I, you know, and it's kind of like, well, why can't we just have a story that is not necessarily about um, queer pain, Um, even though there is, there is that element because how, how could there not be when we're talking about, you know, a society that essentially renders queer people invisible. But, um, you know, there's, there's always hope, um, in this story. I, I really wanted to make it clear that even with, you know, feeling like the world was kind of crumbling around you, you know, there's still, there's still hope. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so it was important for me to, to make, you know, Sophia, this queer black girl at the center of this story. I wanted her to be able to go on this adventure and to uncover this, this mystery and this legacy of resistance. And I wanted her to be, um, you know, kind of doted on by someone who really cared about her. We see Constance kind of doing that. Um, You know, I I just wanted her to be the object of someone's affection. I wanted her to be able to fight if she needed to. I wanted her to be able to be vulnerable. I wanted her to have, you know, all of the nuance that I see in other stories that I just didn't get to see for queer black girls. And Mm so, um, so yeah, so, I mean, this, this, this book was, is extremely personal to me and important to me just as a person. And so I, you know, I know it's important um, to so many other people as well. I mean, being able to have this opportunity and the space and the story that you've created is just amazing. So we're, I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm just so appreciative that you, you use that Mm -hmm. and like, you know, to be able to help spread and like find, you know, give people a voice and a, a story to connect with because, um, you know, I myself am a white heterosexual woman. And so seeing these stories, that wasn't necessarily my main problem. We know there's a million other (laughs) problems in these too, but I mean, that's, that's a huge thing. And to not see yourself represented is just, you know, um, yeah, I I applaud you. And we're we're so thankful for what you've created. Well, and I think too, in your story specifically, I know we're getting kind of far afield from Cinderella itself, but in Cinderella (laughs) is dead, I'm again, I'm a white heterosexual female, um, but I could see myself in Sophia. And I thought that was something yeah. too, you know, that, that this, this character could speak to people, you know, even though it's not, that's not my story or, you know, it's not something that I know about or understand really. Um, but I think it's so beautiful um, in the way that you, that you could connect to um, even Constance, you know, I connected to Constance because I yeah. thought she was awesome, right? She's she's yeah. she's this badass that's gonna, you know, like she's the resistance, right? Um, or she has been for a yeah. while. And I think there's something so wonderful about that. Um, that is, this the story isn't necessarily is not meant for me, which is totally fine. But I could connect to it, and I think yeah. that was really really beautiful too. So yeah, I really and liked it. <laughs> it's you know, it's that it's that human experience. I mean, right. I think we can all kind of understand what it feels like to be. 
um, you know, not treated fairly um, and to be, you know, yearning for something else to, you know, to really just feel like, um, you know, there's another, there's something else that you could be doing. There's something. And, you know, also I think with Sophia, you know, we see all of these, these different relationships that she has in her life. You know, she has friends, she has parents, she has, you know, um, these authority figures and, you know, she has a crush on someone and she, you know, and she's also struggling with her feelings towards someone that she has, that she's kind of growing apart from. So it's, you know, that's, that's the human experience. And I think that my, my goal, you know, is always just to make these, these characters who, who share my um, personal um, marginalizations, and my identities, um, my intersectional identities, you know, to, to make them, um, to make them human, to mm-hmm. make readers see them just as people, because that's, that's who we are. Yeah. Right. And I think that's something that I love about, you know, being able to have a full book versus these stories that we get yes. through. I mean, this one was a little longer this was like, today, like but 10 minutes typically, <laughs> you know, yeah. like we always talk about how you don't actually get into the like nuances. We had a, um, an episode earlier in the season, a story of Lee Bon, um, who this character that it's kind of like, we just had so many questions yeah. after the story was told because you don't get to know those things when these are, you know, traditionally told as like, you know, an audible rendition mm-hmm. that is like spread. And even something that Rachel found in her research is that in 1830s, German kids were asked to memorize the grim tales at school. So when we oh. talk about too how these are like indoctrinated and, you know, I mean, it, it's like to imagine having children memorize these mm-hmm. stories like that is a whole other level of like, you know, these these theories and practices and like what they should be. And just back to what you said earlier of the importance that society has put on these stories. Well, and thinking about the society in general, too, right, because this 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 is like the thing this is i'm gonna go on a little rant so i'm sorry everybody but like good <laughs> rx right like that's a good service that helps you save money on your prescriptions but that's not the problem mm-hmm. the problem is that your prescriptions are like we shouldn't be paying mm-hmm. thousands of dollars for insulin so right. cinderella is the good rx i think in the story right she is getting a prince and she's able to elevate her status but the problem is that she is in a society where she is not treated well And it's capitalistic, right? So she is on the lowest rung and she can't get up. She can't get above it. So sure, the one in a million Cinderella's that, which like, barf, but the one in a million Cinderella's (laughs) that actually make it like that, that doesn't solve the problem. Right. right? And it's still putting, yeah, that like making it is making it in this capitalistic society where women are devalued. And um, that again, why we just, we loved your book and everything that you created, but I would love to kind of dive into just some thoughts and themes um, from this original one. If you guys are, I'm always game. Okay. Kaylin, are you up for it? Oh yeah. 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 (laughs) Join us next week for Cinderella part two with Mindy, Rachel, and special guest, Kaylin Bayron. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode, but you can always find us on Instagram at Femlore Podcast or visit us online at femlore.com. We love what we do, but we can't do it without you. Your listens, shares, and reviews keep us going, so please tell your friends about us. 
Femlore is produced by Mindy Scott, Rachel Marr, Aaron Crossland, and Lauren Crossland Marr. Audio engineering and music by Aaron Crossland. Research and coordination by Lauren Crossland Marr. And as always, canine support provided by Andy and Cody. Ow!